You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel. Today, our guest is Breck Speed, a longtime CEO in the beverage industry who has also been involved in the pet bottle manufacturing business. He shares the steps it takes to launch a cannabis beverage successfully and the challenges facing the industry. Breck answers questions about choosing the right extraction technology to produce good flavor, bioavailability, and fast onset. He addresses the logistical challenges of bottling, packing, and distribution specific to the cannabis industry, and the economic difficulties caused by the restriction of interstate commerce. Breck has plans to solve these problems with his new company, Farmington Research. Let's meet him to learn how he plans to do this. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Happy Friday. Indeed. There's a lot of discussion about the cannabis beverage industry just popping up. Just right this week, there were a couple of big announcements, both by Jones Soda and by Can. Yes. And that's then right. Lagunitas as well. They, they, they made an announcement about how they're uh, expecting great things and reformulating their offerings based upon their past five years experience. Oh yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely starting to pop up for sure. Um, so I guess let's just start. And, um, if you could just tell everybody about, uh, your company Farmington research, uh, the cannabis products that you develop and the services that you offer. Yeah. I'm Breck Speed. I'm with Farmington Research, which is uh, a company that was developed to provide water-soluble solutions for the cannabis industry, primarily with beverages, but also as applications and edibles as well. We're a Louisiana-licensed processor for hemp, but we also work with uh, full cannabis companies in different states by licensing our technology and working with them to develop and and uh, bring products to market. So you are dipping into the THC-based products? We are dipping into the THC products, really being led by our initial hemp customers. Um, a lot of people developed a variety of hemp products, and uh, they were accepted and tried by consumers, but uh, the consumers... I guess, who are actually doing the the leading are telling those brands that, gee, we really want something with a little bit of THC Mm -hmm. in it. And so many of those companies are are doing that. And uh, because uh, I believe the consumer uh, is convinced that even just a micro dose of THC makes a big difference in how they perceive the product. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how that's going to affect a brand like Can that is one of the kind of becoming a known brand? Well, uh, Can is there. They uh, came out initially with very low dose, microdose, uh, what is what they call a microdose, two milligrams of THC and uh, maybe two milligrams of CBD. And so they very consciously have come out with, uh, uh, to meet that need for uh, the people that are uh, cannabis curious, as it's called, uh, that want to try uh, these drinks, and it's really based upon flavor and enjoyment, and not getting blottoed. Uh, these, you know, the the initial uh, beverages that were out there with THC in them, I've seen a lot of them with 100 milligrams of THC. What the heck is that for? I mean, that that's you're just going to get totally wasted, and uh, that is not going to appeal to a lot of consumers 
one. And two, uh, gee, you're only going to sell one bottle. Why not make them enjoyable, tasteful, uh, and where a consumer can have an evening, enjoy two or three, and, and, and not regret it the next day? Is that even legal to have 100 milligrams per can, per serving? There are few restrictions on the amount of uh, THCs. Uh, the way they get around it, uh, to the extent there are restrictions, is they say, uh, gee, there may only be 10 ounces in this, but it's five servings. Oh, okay. That's how they're doing it. Okay, got it. So I know this is a big question, but if, if someone came to you wanting to, or I'm sure that's, you do get a lot of people coming to you looking to launch a cannabis beverage line. What would you tell them is involved and what, what do you think they should consider getting into it in their particular state? Well, um, uh, for the first part, uh, the, a lot of people in this industry don't have a lot of uh, uh, prior beverage experience right now. Uh, there are a few, uh, but most of them are brand new to it. So we really have to spend a lot of time uh, 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 helping them understand uh, the co-packing situation, uh, what kind, what, what's the appropriate uh, container they need to be in, whether it's glass plastic or, uh, or, or a powder stick or, or whatever they're, they're trying to do. And then uh, we also help talk them through uh, sales and marketing and distribution and all the things you have to go uh, from idea to putting it into a consumer's hand. It, it, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And so even though we only charge for selling people our water-soluble extract uh, or the technology for the water-soluble extract, we really spend about 80% of our time helping folks uh, get their arms around the entire uh, industry. And we're happy to do that because we want our customers to be successful and, uh, and pay their bills. Right. Sell. They need to sell stuff <laughs> and make money. We're all for it. And, and I, I know I see a lot of uh, products coming out in the powder form versus the bottle liquid form. Is, do you think that's going to take over the industry as far as, you know, also like, you know, it's e easier to stock powder form than it is cases of cans or bottles, but also the technology. Is, is the technology better with the powder form versus the... Not a big difference in, in technology. It's really more about uh, portability. Water weighs a lot. It's 8.2 pounds per gallon. And if you ship it, whether you're shipping it commercially to another business, a retail location, or whether you're shipping direct to consumer, it, it, it's expensive because water weighs a lot. So powder, boy, it just takes that away. You can ship a multi-pack powder sticks with single serves, uh, and it's it's virtually uh, inconsequential compared to what it would take a 12-ounce can or a, or a 16-ounce bottle uh, that's ready to drink. Consumers obviously like ready-to-drink beverages, but there's lots and lots of use occasions where powders will be uh, be really preferred. Uh, if if you want to uh, take some powder sticks that are single serve, you don't have to measure them because there's only one serving per powder stick, and put it in a can of Lacroix at a party, and you know all you have to do is throw that in your purse to do it. Then you know that's going to be really advantageous. It's also very, it's also very discreet. To do all of that instead of carrying it if, if you don't want to be as uh brand forward you know with your friends mm -hmm. uh, and uh and so um 
you know, that that's, uh, I think there's going to be a large market for it. There, that already exists. Uh, this isn't old in the beverage market. There are different powders and uh, drops uh, like Mio and, and others that, that have their own space on uh, grocery store shelves now. Mm, yeah, I think I think powder form, that might be the cannabis industry will be introducing that as a new way to consume beverages and, you know, and also at bars when consumption lounges kind of come along, I can see that being part of the... It could be very well, uh, particularly as bars are able to sell cannabis, uh, that that would be what a mixologist would do to make uh, special drinks. Uh, right now, the, all the top um, uh, bars uh, often have a, a variety, not just one or two, but a variety of high-end mocktails mm -hmm. for people who don't want to consume alcohol. Uh, either because they're a designated driver or because they they're, they just can't or don't like to consume alcohol. And so uh, I, I can very well see uh, a mixologist and have had preliminary discussions with some, uh, some, some celebrity mixologists about the possibility of doing all of that. And that adds value to, to a uh, bar where they would be selling a glass of water or or something else to someone is um yeah and also so many states are not allowing alcohol to be served in consumption lounges which is pretty tricky because how does if you if you how does a consumption lounge make money that's just the big question right now if they can't sell the mocktails with the cannabis you know they have to at least be able to sell something whether bring liquor in and then make cannabis byoc you know, so it's tricky. Uh, actually, I just want to um, go back to uh, the first question in, in the technology developing um, beverages. Are we there with the technology? Um, is Do we have more to develop on that as far as uh, yeah, bioavailability? And well, we, we at, at Farmington think a, a number of really good solutions, and we have patented technology, patent pending technology for part of it. Uh, but um, there's just not one single solution. One of our great learnings uh, was that um, that the uh, brand owners that have been enormously innovative and using all different kinds of flavors and other additives, adaptogens, and uh, other ingredients along with the cannabis, and uh, all of those things react differently with cannabis. So you don't. There is not one single solution that takes care of every potential situation uh, we have to be and are uh, glad to be flexible it's 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 a challenge and it's it's uh, fun really to try to uh, create uh, the beverage that the brand owners uh, envision for instance we we first developed a water soluble solution that was stable that didn't have any smell or taste and one of our very first customers wanted smell and taste <laughs> really That's... yeah well for them they were they, they were in the hemp business uh and if you just put cbd in there unless it's an enormous amount of cbd there it's there's very little noticeable immediate effect it's more of a long-term effect for pain or stress relief or anything else that you achieve uh taking it over time uh, so for him, uh, he wanted his consumers to know that, uh, when they smelled and taste, oh, this has him. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and so we, we had to put back in smell and taste for that particular customer. Yeah. Uh, other customers want full spectrum. Others want isolate. Uh, they use them with, uh, with ingredients that may be bitter and, uh, cannabis by itself can 
uh, be bitter. Uh, and so that overemphasizes those effects. Uh, the, we have to work uh, even within a single product line with different flavors and ingredients to make sure that we have a, a consistent effect throughout. And that, that, that is the challenge. Uh, that is the art in, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the science of Farmington research. And it's, 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 a new, it's a new industry. It's a new technology that you're developing. I mean, we're at the forefront of, of this brand new technology of putting THC into beverage form as a social, social activity. So I don't personally think I would like the smell of it's like one thing to smell it, but to taste it to me, but whatever. Um, exactly. And we don't know. Uh, it's been fascinating. We've done, you know, powders and capsules and drinks and uh, hot beverages for uh, a sugar cube based one that's coming out. Mm -hmm. And uh, the and I don't know which all of them are going to be the big winners. The consumers will will tell us at the end of the day, as they always do. But I do think at the end of the day, there'll be many different kinds of applications uh, that are successful, uh, much like there is now. There are so many darn varieties of beverages out there. Right. Oh, really? It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, it used to be that Coca-Cola, for instance, would never touch a brand that wouldn't have over a billion dollars in sales. And uh, they've come to realize that it uh, the consumer doesn't just drink four Cokes a day mm -hmm. they, or, uh, or anything else anymore. They have all these different use occasions and uh, the market is fractured in that sense, which is fabulous for the consumer. They, there's this wonderful variety and with all these different use occasions and uh, they're, they're big winners, right? Yes, now. yeah, that's true. Um, so I've been reading that um, there's a, a supply chain issue causing bottlenecks and putting, you know, putting the industry's growth at stake, you know, state by state. Um, do you see problems in the supply chain right now for cannabis uh, products? Uh, initially, uh, there was some concern uh, about uh, aluminum cans, for instance, and uh, it's still uh, out there. If, if you, uh, for the biggest companies to grow, there's some constraint, but the aluminum can manufacturers have worked with their brokers and smaller producers to make sure that they don't have, they don't, they may not have every can, but they've got uh, some options uh, out there. Uh, glass bottles uh, are, uh, can be a challenge uh, because to get glass bottles directly from a producer usually requires uh, orders in the hundreds of thousands, but there are brokers uh, that will uh, provide uh, stock bottles, and there's a great many variety of that. And then PET as well. Um, I, I, I'm just, I don't think that's going to be a major issue in the supply chain right now for uh, the cannabis industry. Uh, now, if we're up to uh, tens of millions of uh, cases, uh, then we may have some uh, issues. Uh, boy, those are high quality issues to have. Yeah, those are high quality. Yeah, I guess I was thinking, um, you know, because the borders are closed and everybody has to operate within their state. And I remember you were telling me before that um, you were talking to some maybe entrepreneurs in Illinois or Indiana and that they didn't even have co-packing companies. So if you can't, if, if each state doesn't have all the 
parts for someone to move through the supply chain. Um, maybe not every state's going to have that. So I'm, I'm guess I'm thinking, you know, because of the the borders being closed, that it has to be causing. Uh, Co-packing is a serious challenge right now, and that is, uh, in, in, as you used, as a great pun on our industry, that's the bottleneck. Yeah. Uh, I went to the Cannabis Drinks Conference in Illinois last November, and it was uh, wonderfully attended, met lots of neat people, uh, and uh, we talking with a few folks about different projects from that. However, what was striking to me was there's not a single beverage co-packer in Illinois. So, you know, here there we were at a conference for cannabis drinks. You couldn't you couldn't do it in that state, and that is repeated state to state. Uh, the, to the extent there are some co-packers, um, there are some challenges uh, on volumes and other things. Uh, the, the expertise across what's available is spotty, uh, and. Uh, and the people are, are going about that in different ways. Uh, uh, some uh, products are basically getting hand canned in Colorado. Um, you've got uh, brands like Wink uh, who are taking it upon themselves to uh, put together a, a mobile canning solution and they take their equipment from state to state and work with licensees uh, in each of those states to try to get their brand distributed more widely. And it is a, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, it will, it, it, it's not like the alcohol industry, uh, which is also a heavily regulated industry, but allows shipment across state lines. Um, that may occur with cannabis in the future. It's, it's almost certainly will not happen short term. Mm -hmm. Um, and mostly because I think the states want to hold uh, the tax revenue and the control over this sinful product <laughs> for, for the uh, for the for the near future. Uh, but it is likely, particularly as the biggest companies get involved, uh, uh, the alcohol giants uh, uh, like Constellation and and uh, Anheuser-Busch and Molson Coors and others, as they get into that, they will absolutely push for cross-state uh, transportation. However, that's really not gonna be totally helpful uh, to the smaller folks, uh, call it the craft brewers of the cannabis industry. And uh, they will probably still look for uh, local uh, or mobile uh, solutions, uh, much like the craft beer industry does now, much like the craft wine industry does now. They they all rely on a system of mobile canners and bottlers. Oh, okay. Oh, so that that's a thing in the industry. Well, you would think uh, states like Colorado and Illinois, where uh, cannabis revenue is is you know booming, that they would have these systems systems in place because the beverage industry, cannabis beverage industry, is about to make a big entrance, you know, break out into the industry. So they're obviously not prepared. And don't you need um, a license to to do co-packing? I mean, that must require some sort of a license, right? The co-packing licenses just some, uh, on the basic level require clients with uh, sanitation regulations on a local and state level. And that that's not... Uh, uh, that's the normal usual for whether it would be beer, wine, or, or soda pop. Um, and then as far as working with cannabis with that, then you do absolutely need to work with a licensee for each of those. And so 
what you do is you license it to them. You, if there are requirements about it being within a, the footprint that is permitted, then you have to do it within that footprint and you have to, to take care of uh, making sure you cross uh, all your T's and dot your I's on that. But it's, it's absolutely doable. That's, that is not a big issue. The uh, Illinois and the bigger states will absolutely get on board quickly. Uh, Colorado, even though it's a pioneer and there's a, they sold a record amount of cannabis they recently announced just in, uh, in 2021. Uh, it's still an island. Yeah, right. We're all in <laughs> uh, Colorado. It, you know, you've got the Front Range, and that's it. Uh, north, south, east, and west. You have to drive a long way to uh, to uh, ship your goods. So um, it, it is a really self-contained little island, uh, practically for logistics. And uh, they should have a small uh, opportunity there uh, for, for canning or bottling, but it's going to be like with other beverages and foods. It's, uh, it, it's, hard, it's hard to make it there by yourself. Right. So is the process that you provide the extraction to wh whoever has hired you, you know, a beverage company, and then they formulate it, you, it, it's shipped to them and then they're responsible for formulating it? like putting it into liquid and bottling? Is that what a co-packer does? We can extract, uh, uh, but uh, most of the time now, uh, the brand owners want a particular product. Uh, so we deal with one uh, brand that is Kentucky-based and they want Kentucky-based hemp. We deal with a, another brand that's Hawaiian-based. They want uh, Hawaiian-based, and it not only had to be Hawaiian-based, it had to be from the Big Island, and it had to be organic. By God, we found a one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh, we're agnostic about the source of the the hemp or cannabis, and we'll work uh, with uh, with the brand owner to provide uh, what they want, uh, not only just for the quality, but for the marketing aspect of what they want. Yeah, no, if it were cannabis in Hawaii, we absolutely would have to work within uh, Hawaii with a Hawaiian license holder and in in, in comply with all of the regulations related to that license holder. So how's far, how is Farmington Research going to expand into the THC business into different states outside? Well, that, that's how we do it. We've got, for, for instance, for our California customers right now, we have a a relationship with a company called Stillworks in Sacramento, and they're a licensed processor, and they do uh, gummies, and then they're working with us uh, on emulsion for our beverage customers there. Okay, so okay, so you are going state to state and setting up some sort of operations or partnerships with people to make this happen. We enter into a uh, legal licensing relationship with them in order to fully comply uh, with their local state law. Okay, so if somebody's in California and they wanna start a bev cannabis beverage company, but they don't know about the technology, they hire your company to come in and that's how you, is that how it goes? Th that's correct. And so it, it's not just providing the emulsion or, uh, uh, or the, the licensing to make the emulsion. It's, uh, it's as we've been talking about, it's, it's helping them with everything else. We'll, we will work with their uh, chosen co-packer. If they don't have a co-packer, we'll help uh, refer them to uh, different co-packers. Uh, co uh, and then we'll work with that co-packer. Uh, and they all vary. Some of them will want a powder format for their batch tank. Some will want a liquid format. We can provide either. 
uh, we will go there for their very first uh, production runs and make sure everything works smoothly and that the production team at the co-packer uh, does exactly what's needed to produce the beverage that the brand owner has envisioned. Mm, okay. Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't know how all these parts came together. So maybe this is not a big thing, but I, I, I just love the idea of that mobile canning idea to solve all these problems. I guess taking a cue from the craft business on how to operate, um, because the, like you said, the borders are probably not going to open up soon. Is mobile, is that something you're going to get into mobile canning or? We are studying that right now, Pam. And it, uh, it you know, it, it is a business that's been uh, well-proven. Uh, there are um, companies that, uh, that have uh, mobile canners and bottlers uh, throughout the, to serve all these various industries, whether it's the spirits, you know, there's, there's canned, wine now uh, there's bottled wine uh, there's uh, so the economics of that are, yes. are pretty good how does it work well there's a couple of different ways that it can work uh, for instance uh, wild goose canning paid endorsement I guess <laughs> <laughs> out of Colorado okay. makes makes these wonderful canning units and their uh, sister company called Deutsch has the uh, stuff that uh, is everything that the mobile canning unit plugs into. It comes on a skid and you can put it uh, within, a, within a licensed facility and it would have the batch tank, it would have the carbonation, it would have the water and power and everything else necessary to, uh, to, to mix product that would then uh, be put in cans. And, um, and that's just one company. There's actually several different uh, suppliers in the, this industry. It's not a uh, sequential small industry uh, that makes mobile um, um, packaging solutions. Will you be adding that as part of your services, do you think? Because it seems like like states like Illinois need it. And, and as the industry is starting to take off, how are they going to handle the demand? That's the other question. Like, if this is really starting to take off, which I can see it will, is how are these states going to handle the demand? Because we're, you're used to now having all your sources probably in different states and the trucking and the bottling and you know interstate commerce, but your hands are tied. So, and there's going to be a big demand soon. That that's going to uh, that is in practical terms that that's what's going to have to happen short term is uh, there's going to have to be whether it's us or another entrepreneur or two uh, to provide these services for. Uh, all of these uh, brand owners that want to offer their brand across multiple state lines, um, uh, th that that solution is going to have to to occur short term. Yeah, it's going to. Uh, now, in the bigger states, um, uh, for instance, uh, even today, you know, bottled water is the, for instance, is the largest uh, consumed beverage by gallons in the United States, but uh, only four states do almost 45% of that volume. Oh. New York, California, Florida, and Texas. And so that will uh, likely, that's just where the people are. And so that will likely uh, occur in Illinois and Michigan. And, you know, there's other big states with larger populations. Um, they will have permanent uh, availability of co-packers uh, in, in this industry. Um, other states, it will probably be either uh, very small packers or, or or these mobile 
packers that we that will uh, provide the solution uh, in the near term. You know, it's funny you hear about all the different license types that are coming out in these different states. You know, between the dispensaries and the deliveries and the, you know, uh, smoking lounges and all that kind of stuff. But you don't see mm -hmm. th these. Uh, you know, for the beverage industry, you don't see people really talking about it. But I guess it's because the beverage industry was slowly starting to come up. But now that it, you know, I feel like it's a good opportunity for someone to start some sort of maybe mobile canning business where it's not such a high cost to enter as a dispensary, which is easily a million plus. And um, maybe, maybe now that the beverage industry is really starting to um, open up that maybe other people will consider this as a viable business for getting in. There's going to be other ways for people to to uh, participate in this industry as it goes. I mean, people just think about growing and dispensary and maybe uh, doing some, but as the industry grows, there's lots of other uh, supplier opportunities here, whether we were talking specifically about the packaging, but Everything else that goes with it, much like the much larger beverage industry, non-alcoholic beverage industry, even the alcoholic beverage industry, there's lots and lots of different ways to participate. And uh, being a supplier, uh, being a, a co-packer uh, on this is is uh, there'll there'll be a number of them. Is a co-packer and a distributor are they usually one company or are those two separate companies? Uh, you know, uh, it can be both. Um, and, uh, but particularly, uh, if you want, instead of working with a licensee, if you want to go ahead and seek license yourself and get more vertically integrated on that, then yeah, uh, there's going to be all different kinds of varieties on this. And, uh, I'm not sure exactly right now what, you know, what, what the sweet spot to be, but people are coming at it from a single, uh, opportunity within the supply chain. But, uh, I'm sure that this will, uh, be more vertically integrated as time goes on, as people uh, decide to grow, process, package, do everything themselves. There's a bit of a margin in each of those things, and more of those margins you are able to uh, touch, then uh, the more money you can make. Right. Is, is there one area that you would suggest someone go into as far as any area of that supply chain you would recommend like these new entrepreneurs wanting to come in and they say hey i want to get into the beverage industry yeah in, in the, you know right now it appears that the uh, worst place to be in is growing yeah. a lot of this uh, particularly with uh, in the beverage industry and in cannabis business uh just a few years ago people grew uh hemp wildly in, in anticipation of the oil market and uh, and also for beverages but the bottom line is to make a full truckload of 12 ounce cans 20 milligrams of cbd each takes five plants you can grow 1500 plants an acre you can get three crops a year that that's an enormous amount of product yeah, and so uh, yeah there's just not it, uh, it just doesn't take much to uh, to supply that industry. So that's the the margins in that area are going and will probably continue to be relatively low unless it's something very special, uh, a, a special strain uh, that is widely demanded, um, a special, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and of course, marketing uh, makes a big difference too. Uh, I often used to ask people, uh, what was the most uh, popular taste uh, of cola, Coke, or Pepsi? 
And, you know, people argue that back. Well, actually, the number one taste and blind taste test was RC Cola. Oh, really? RC Cola historically used uh, cane sugar and the others are you can high, high fructose corn syrup. And everyone loved uh, uh, RC Cola and blind test uh, well, um, much more than Coke or Pepsi, but their market share is about 1%. Right. So, so right now, <laughs> Coke, Coke and Pepsi marketing makes a big difference. And that could accept, uh, you know, that in itself is, uh, which is right now uh, missing from this industry. Uh, it's not legal to do broad marketing. You can't even have billboards and you know TV marketing or anything else right now. So uh, creating that brand awareness is is tougher. But is that is those uh, hand gloves? If those gloves come off and and uh, you're able to market uh, more aggressively, uh, that will that that that'll be a good defensive measure. Um, it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Right. I know because I mean. I don't know if it's different for the CPG brands or the beverage brands, but everybody needs to get the volume across the state borders and, and also trying to get your brand known ac across borders is difficult, but that's why they're setting up in all these different states. If I was a beverage brand, I would, I would look at setting up independently in all these states because eventually we've got to have that brand awareness, if, especially a beverage company, it just seems to me. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, people are going across uh, uh, states all the time. And if they like uh, to buy a, a certain brand in their home state, they certainly want to be able to access that while they're on vacation or on business or whatever. Right, right. So I guess the last question is, um, now that New York is like the next state that everybody's really watching, and are you hearing any um, rumblings up there in the beverage industry? I am aware that there are uh, some folks uh, in in New York that are getting ready to do beverages uh, with THC that uh, have previously been in the hemp business. New York's a big state, and there, there'll be uh, plenty of room for quite a number of, of brands there. And, and again, remember, they're not all in 12-ounce cans. They'll be in bottles. They'll be in powder format. They'll be uh, drink shots. Uh, there's going to be a lot of different competition to, uh, to catch uh, the consumer's uh, dollar up there for sure. Yeah, I think I just heard that New York allowed the hemp farmers to plant their uh, marijuana crops, yep. just got the go ahead. So, so that, that once these licenses come out, they have the crop ready for whatever they're going to turn it into. So that, that's a great move. Yeah, absolutely. No, they, uh, the state recognizes that they're going to, uh, need some inventory for sale when it when it gets started, yeah, right. or if they're going to have a lot of stocks and and who in the and the hemp farmers know how to grow it, the hemp is cannabis. Right. It just doesn't have the THC in it, and they know how to do it, and uh, they can start right now uh, if they've got greenhouses. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that that's really good news. So I'm glad that the state saw that and recognized that and get us off and running. So. But uh, anyway, so good. I think that that's perfect then. Um, I, that covers everything. It's been really fun talking to you. Thanks, Pam. I, I've enjoyed talking to you too and look forward to the next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. 
Scope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.